A lot of us fear making mistakes, but mistakes are such an important part of the process in moving forward. Today, you'll hear why this is important, even for, and maybe even especially for, the most successful thinkers and doers. This is Coaching for Leaders, Episode 121. Produced by Innovate Learning, Maximizing Human Potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly coaching show to help us all be better leaders through improved communication, human relations, and personal productivity. And to be able to do all of those areas well, we need to be in the right place mentally to be able to work through the challenges that we face. And I don't know about you, but you know this this is the end of the year when I'm airing this episode. It's the last episode of 2013, but it doesn't matter when you're listening to it because you know I think a lot of us get caught up in the things that we haven't haven't worked well for us or that we haven't achieved that we wanted to achieve. And while the end of the year and the beginning of the new year is a natural point when a lot of us think about moving forward and we think about our future goals, This is really something that I think a lot of us think about and even struggle with at many points throughout the year. And I know for me personally, the end of the year and the beginning of the new year is a time of being excited and thinking about renewal and setting new goals and getting ready for a new year and doing new things and trying things different ways. But it also tends to be a time that I look back And I think about my accomplishments, but I always find myself actually thinking more about the things that I didn't do the past year that I really wanted to do. I meant to do this, or I set this goal to do this, and I I didn't quite get there, or I wanted to get healthier, and I didn't, or I wanted to be more successful in this area of my business, and I wasn't. And those kinds of things tend to eat at me, and I bet that's true for a lot of people who are involved with our community. And so I'm really excited today to bring you a guest that's a very different kind of guest that we normally have on the show. He's an astrophysicist, uh, but he has a lot of great wisdom to share with us about making mistakes. And I'm going to just go ahead and jump right into the interview here. I think the the introduction will uh, explain everything, but I think that this is a really uh, valuable, I know it was a valuable conversation for me of just thinking about how the best minds out there make mistakes and yet utilize those mistakes to propel them forward. So here's my conversation with Dr. Mario Livio. I am pleased to welcome as my guest this week, Dr. Mario Livio. Mario is a astrophysicist at the Space Telescope Science Institute, and he is the author of the book Brilliant Blunders, a book about some of the blunders that people we think of as really brilliant and doing amazing work in science have made in the process of coming to some wonderful uh, wonderful advances and conclusions for, for, uh, for our world. And I was first introduced to this book by one of our community members who presented it and had heard Mario speak and uh, had talked about it as just a wonderful lesson for all of us to learn as leaders the importance of making mistakes and that being a part of the process for all of us. And so, uh, Mario, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to Coaching for Leaders. Uh, again, thank you for having me. My pleasure. Well, let's start off with this perception that science breakthroughs are all about success stories, because I think for a lot of people, they hear about people like Einstein and Darwin and some of the other scientists that you speak about in the book. And there's the perception that 
um, that these were brilliant people, which they were, and that they always made great decisions and right calls and got everything right. And really, that's not the case, is it? No, I mean, actually, nothing can be further from the truth. I mean, uh, science uh, never, and, and indeed other creative processes never uh, uh, progress, you know, on a straight line from A to B. It is rather it's uh, some sort of a zigzag path uh, with lots of false starts, uh, many blind alleys. Uh, many times you have to go back to the starting point and so on. Uh, and this was really one of the reasons that I, I, I chose to, to write this book uh, to correct this impression. You say in the book, I'm going to read one of the sections here, that the main point is, uh, however, along the way, is we shall discover that blunders are not only inevitable, but also an essential part of the progress in science. The development of science is not a direct march to the truth. If not for false starts and blind alleys, scientists would be traveling too long down too many wrong paths. And when I read that, Mario, it made me think about leadership, too, that a lot of times people focus on the destination and they forget about the journey. And I know the journey is something you talk about as being really important in the process of discovery. Right. You see, for example, you know, let me talk a little bit about science, because that's the part which I really know best, being a scientist myself. Um, and the idea is, you know, we, we learned from people such as, you know, philosopher Karl Popper, you can never prove a scientific theory correct. You can only prove it wrong. Uh, in other words, a scientific theory is correct for as long as all its predictions and everything, its explanations agree with all the known facts. But as soon as we find a fact that does not agree with the theory, we actually have to modify or sometimes throw out altogether uh, the theory. Uh, so really, science progresses by, if you like, finding these mistakes. I mean, finding where it is that we went wrong and, you know, going after that. Hmm, interesting. Well, let's take one of these scientists that you examine in the book. You look at five pretty well-known scientists and, and people who are really considered brilliant uh, today, even if they weren't um, years ago. And I'm, I'm wondering if maybe we could look at one of them as an example of ways that they blundered and ultimately led to something that was greater than the blunder itself. Right. So, you know, let's take Charles Darwin, because everybody heard of Charles Darwin. Yes, he's the person who came up with the theory of evolution by means of natural selection. Um, so Darwin, of course, came up with this fantastic theory that explains essentially all biology and life on Earth. Uh, but Darwin didn't know any genetics. Uh, we cannot blame him for that because nobody knew really genetics at the time. So he adopted the theory of heredity that existed at the time, which was that of blending heredity, uh, which meant that the characteristics of the father and the mother um, get mixed uh, in the offspring in the same way as you would mix paints, for example. Hmm. Um, now, the fact that he adopted this theory in itself cannot be considered a blunder uh, because, like I said, you know, nobody knew any better at the time. He adopted what everybody thought. Sure. The blunder was in the fact that he did not understand that if this theory were correct, then natural selection could never have worked at all. And, and let me try to explain that. You know, let's suppose that, you know, you have a, 
a thousand white cows and one black cow. Uh, and by that, I mean, I, I say cows, but I mean, you know, both genders, you know, and so on. But only one is, is, is black, uh, and let's suppose it's a male. Um, then, according to, and let's suppose that black somehow confers a certain advantage. Natural selection would have said that after many, many generations, the entire population could have shifted to become black because black gave it some advantage and was hereditary. But let's think what happens in terms of blending heredity. This black uh, bull in this case would mate with a white cow and they would get a gray offspring. The gray offspring would mate with another white cow and they would get a paler shade of gray offspring. In fact, black would never even come back into the population at all. Not only would not the population shift to become black, but in fact, black would have disappeared even after just one generation. Hmm. Now, of course, the solution to this problem came in the form of the actual genetics that we know about today, which was discovered by Gregor Mendel, which said, no, genetics doesn't work like mixing paints. It's work, it works more like shuffling cards. If I have an ace, and having an ace is good, it doesn't matter how much you shuffle, you still have the ace. So that's the way it works. The genes, you know, are always there. And that's how the entire population indeed can shift to become black if black gives you an advantage. So Darwin's mistake really is not so much that he was um, going with conventional wisdom, but that conventional wisdom just was completely uh, didn't fit with his other theory of evolution and that the two things couldn't have been true at the same time. That's right. That's right. He, he, he somehow did not catch, at least initially, the fact that it could not have been that his theory of evolution by means of natural selection would work if that were the theory of heredity. So I'm not a scientist, and that seems to me here in the 21st century like a pretty kind of an obvious thing now, and I know it wasn't, you know, maybe 200 years ago, but um, I, I think it's it's interesting sometimes that when we're really close to something, sometimes we miss the obvious things that otherwise we might have seen. Did you see that in other scientists as well that you examined and looked at in this process? Yes. Uh, I mean, well, in, in, in this particular case, I mean, you, you know, you say certainly when you look at some things from a certain distance, they sometimes appear obvious to you and so on. I mean, uh, you know, if you take somebody like Aristotle, who was a genius in his own right, you know, essentially everything he said about physics was wrong. Hmm. And today, you know, you, you would be amazed how come that that incredible genius made so many wrong statements. Uh, you know, Aristotle, for example, let me just tell you, it's not just physics, but for example, Aristotle thought that women have a different number of teeth than men. Now, believe it or not, Aristotle was married and he could have easily checked if they had a different number of teeth or not, and it never occurred to him to check. That's awesome. So funny. So, so this is really interesting to me because it sounds like what you're saying is that some of the people we know as the, as the greatest scientists out there, um, the greatest thinkers, the philosophers, are people who actually spent a lot of time making mistakes and yet those are the people that we know about. So that's kind of a really interesting thing. 
uh, of course, but uh, you know, let, let's be clear here. I mean, uh, I, I called the book brilliant blunders. So I'm not talking about generally, I mean, you know, Aristotle's mistake about the teeth was anything but brilliant. Right. I right. mean, uh, Darwin, you know, came up with a huge theory about everything that has to do about life on earth. And yes, he made the mistake. And once it was pointed out to him, he spent a lot of time trying to think how to actually correct for that. He didn't come up with a correct solution, but he, he thought about this a lot. So we would not have known about these people, people like Darwin and so on, had they also not had lots of things which were correct. Hmm. I mean, you don't hear about people where everything they did was a mistake, you know, right. and so on. I mean, they did have to make some right things along the way. But uh, the point I'm making is that even the greatest luminaries uh, often make mistakes. And, and the reason they make mistakes, these greatest luminaries, is because they really are trying to think outside the box. And when you think outside the box, you know, you take certain risks and you may make mistakes along the way. Mm -hmm. Part of what strikes me on reading on some of these folks and having seen quotes in the past is I, I get the sense and tell me if I'm wrong on this, Mario, that they weren't as concerned about making mistakes as sometimes a lot of other people are, and they weren't held back by that fear. Is that an accurate perception or, or did you get a sense of that as going through and doing the research with these? I, I think it's true for some of them. I don't think it's true for all of them. I mean, uh, uh, Lord Kelvin, for example, who is a person I discuss in the book, he actually did not like making mistakes. Mm. Uh, and he, you know, resisted, even when things were pointed out to him that he has been wrong, he, he resisted till almost his last day, uh, you know, and uh, and did not accept that he made a mistake. So not not all were, were in, in this way. Uh, but Linus Pauling, for example, uh, who is another person I discuss, you know, two times Nobel laureate, um, and he actually told uh, one of his uh, then postdocs, a person with whom I, uh, I talked, Dunitz, uh, today, and, and he told him, look, uh, if you have a good idea, he told him, publish it. Because the worst that will happen is, you know, some other smart people uh, will find out it's a mistake and there is no harm in that. On the other hand, if you had a great idea and you have not published it, you know, maybe science would suffer as a result. Uh, oh, interesting. Interesting. I'm curious as you, you know, you've spent a lot of time, Mario, going through and looking at these brilliant people and how they worked and how they processed information and the mistakes they made, but also the brilliance that they had. I'm curious, what is what are your takeaways of things that you feel like we could learn as people who want to obviously be brilliant and be like them? Uh, that would be real lessons of value from them. Well, I, you know, I think that the chief lesson is, uh, you know, something I, I mentioned before, which is that you have to be prepared to take some calculated risks. Now, let me make it this very, very clear. I'm not advocating making careless mistakes or sloppy mistakes. You have to be always thoughtful and, you know, be very cautious about what you do. However, if you want to think a little bit differently or outside the mainstream, you should be prepared to take those calculated risks that have a potential for high reward 
even though they may lead to a mistake. Mm. You cannot lead your entire life like that, but every now and then, you know, if you have a good idea, those may be the ideas that would lead to actual breakthroughs. And you should be prepared for that. We, we are being kind of taught now that you should not make any mistake. Well, if you don't make any mistake, you probably also do not make any great discovery most of the time. Mm. Because that means that you think only incrementally. And while there is nothing wrong with thinking incrementally, you know, pro incremental progress is important, but it doesn't lead to the great breakthroughs. To get to the great breakthroughs, you must think uh, somewhat differently and not conform to every, what everybody else thinks. Uh, you know, uh, just to give you an example that's not from my world, but a world which also, you know, we're all familiar with, startup companies, right? I mean, startup companies, most of them actually fail. Right. But a few of them make huge successes. So the whole concept there is that if you have great ideas, or at least things you, th you, you never know in advance what is a great idea, but if you have an idea that is you know, outside the box there, you, you have to, and there is a potential for high reward, you should try it. The reason I said that you cannot spend your entire life like this is because you know, if you just run one failing startup company after the next, uh, that probably is not a good way of going about this. I mean, you should also <laughs> right. do something that's, uh, you know, more solid than that. Yeah. But what I'm saying is that you should not be afraid to take the occasional calculated risk. Well, this is really good coaching for all of us because I think that, like you said, a lot of us, um, you know, our education system, our um, just our culture is very... There are exceptions, but a lot of us are fearful, and I know a lot of new leaders are very fearful of making any mistake at all, and of, that's right. Of, of that's right. Of being caught up in any kind of mistake or making any misstep, and and that really being a noose around their neck of then being able to think creatively. And I'm wondering what, um, as you've read through this, as you've obviously read through the writings of the scientists and, and just in your own work, Mario, I mean, you're, you're very successful at the work you've done. I'm wondering just what, what's something you've learned as far as how to, for us to move away from that fear to get to the point where we're willing to take some of those calculated risks. Are there things you found so that have worked for you? Give, let me give you an example of, uh, you know, something that we once did. You, you see, I work with the Hubble Space Telescope. So let me give you an example of what we did for a while. I mean, uh, we don't do this now for other reasons, but for, for a good few years, we did the following. You see, every year, more than a thousand people uh, propose to observe with the Hubble Space Telescope. And um, the ratio of success there is about one in six. So uh, it's very, very competitive. I mean, you know, about one in six proposals actually gets, gets the time on the telescope. For a good number of years, the time allocation committees on the telescopes were advised to allocate 10% of the telescope time to proposals that were deemed risky. And by that, the meaning was proposals where it wasn't certain that they will actually achieve their declared goals, but that if they did, the potential for reward was high. Hmm. And so that's how you know we managed to inside the system 
you know, allow for this type of, you know, more um, outside the mainstream thinking. And I think that that should be adopted, you know, for funding agencies, for a number of uh, other disciplines where, you know, uh, you have this idea where you want to encourage some of this creative thinking and not just, you, you know, the incremental type of thinking. So almost giving people that space to allow for, obviously it was only 10%, so it wasn't the, you know, the entire resources, but some space to allow that's, for that's that creative right. energy. So, you know, so, what, so every researcher can do, you know, can do three proposals where they propose to do something where, you know, they are essentially certain that, you know, what they suggest can be achieved. And they do one proposal, which is more risky like this and so on. So to allow for that possibility, that's what I'm advocating. Hmm. How has this played out in your own life and your own work, Mario? You you obviously are doing some very important work that's involved with, with Hubble. Um, when you think about brilliant blunders, how has that changed the way you work? Um, well, you know, I cannot uh, even begin to claim them that I'm anywhere near the five luminaries that I discuss in my book. I mean, I wish uh, I uh, would have... Uh, been as brilliant as, as some of those people, but uh, you know, in my own work, I had uh, smaller things of this nature. I uh, I once proposed a theory for something that uh, some astronomer uh, uh, claimed to have discovered. Then it turned out that what that astronomer discovered was wrong. So here I was having uh, what I thought was a beautiful theory, but, but the, for a phenomenon that did not exist. Uh, luckily for me, uh, later on, other astronomers found that indeed the particular observations that the first astronomer claimed were wrong, but there were other systems that actually for which my theory could be applied. Oh, so, uh, you know, so it ended up okay. Nothing was of the caliber of, uh, you know, Darwin's theory of evolution or, or Einstein's uh, general relativity, you know, and so on, but still in my somewhat smaller world. I mean, this was a satisfying experience. Oh, great. Hey, um, Mario, what, you know, with your experience and having worked with so many different wise people over the years, I, I am curious what advice you would have for people who are moving into a, a position of responsibility, maybe for the first time, or really now have the, um, some influence in deciding on resources and deciding on communication in their organization for being able to encourage some of that creativity and that space for us to have brilliance. So, you know, of course, anybody moving into a leadership position uh, probably needs to get uh, lots of advice on, on a variety of topics. Uh, and I wouldn't pretend to, to try to give advice on all of that, but j just, you know, in the context of what we're talking about, uh, I, I think, you know, one should, not create a culture where making any mistake is absolutely wrong. And again, I want to emphasize again, not making mistakes that you make because you are careless. I mean, of course, those mistakes should not be done. But to allow for that more creative thinking, which, you know, sometimes will result in, you know, showing that it's a blunder, but which occasionally can lead to something truly important. So to allow for some of that type of uh, more imaginative thinking, 
in, in, in their leadership, I think would be very, very important. And indeed, some of the, you know, private, more research-oriented companies, you know, deal that, in that way. You know, I mean, IBM used to, you know, work that way at, you know, at, at when they when they allowed for a lot of very basic research, which had almost nothing to do with, you know, the computers they were building and so on. And and many, many companies, uh, you know, Google today allows for, for much of that. The NIH, of course, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I don't even need to mention. Um, I, I want to remind you also that um, serendipity also plays a big role in this. Um, for example, in, in the medical world, uh, more than half of the medications uh, are, are new medications are discovered serendipitously. I mean, what happens is that uh, they are looking for uh, a medication for blood pressure, and it turns out that actually it works for depression or, or something like this. Yes. Mm. Now, if you didn't allow a certain, you know, freedom to think in this way, then you might be missing also on these serendipitous discoveries. I mean, of course, penicillin is the example one everybody gives, you know, when Fleming discovered this serendipitously. And there are many, many such things, other things. So um, I think that every leader in any kind of profession which calls for some creative thinking should actually allow for this to happen. That's why I love this book, and I love the idea behind the book, Mario, that you've presented here. And the book, by the way, is Brilliant Blunders, so you can check it out on Amazon and uh, and grab a copy. I, I just think it's a great inspirational read for leaders of really recognizing the importance of the creative process, of of looking at this from a standpoint of inspiration of even the people who were the most brilliant people we think of through the ages, Darwin, Einstein, these famous scientists, made blunders as well, and they did them. They did them, you know, like you said, not carelessly, but really trying hard to find the right answers. And I, it just to me that just seems like such an inspirational message for us to go out and to be willing to have the courage to try something new, to take those appropriate risks. And to not just do what's always been done, because if we can do that, I mean, the, the capacity that we have for brilliance, I think, just skyrockets. And that's why I think this is such an important read and such an important uh, book for leaders to check out. Thank you. The book is Brilliant Blunders, and you can get it at Amazon or anywhere that you purchase books. And uh, Dr. Livio, I'm so glad that you joined me today. Thank you so much for making time in your schedule. My pleasure. Dr. Mario Livio is an astrophysicist at the Space Telescope Science Institute and the author of Brilliant Blunders. I hope you enjoyed that conversation, and more importantly, I hope that it gives you the perspective and the inspiration it gave to me when I heard about the book and read up on uh, Dr. Livio and just you know, started thinking about how we all handle success and failure, just the importance of making mistakes and that propelling us forward. And it sure makes me feel a lot better about some of the things that I've done and the bad calls that I've made in the past. And certainly I can think of many just in this past year, and I know many ahead too. And so I think that uh, his wisdom here is really important and key. And I, I hope you enjoyed this little, this different perspective this week. You know, one of the things that I think is really important for all of us, I know for me, is to just get some perspective from people and disciplines we wouldn't normally hear from. Uh, you won't often hear on astrophysicists on the show for sure. At the same time, 
I think the wisdom that we get from different perspectives, from different types of people in different industries is something that's really key. And you probably noticed I try to bring a lot of diverse backgrounds, opinions, expertise to the show, because I think that the more informed we are as leaders, the more that we have heard different perspectives, the more we've considered different viewpoints. I just I just think the more that that helps us all to be effective and it helps us to be more educated about the world around us. And I know what an important role that education and learning has played in my life and in my career and in my family every day. And so to the extent that I can bring that to this community, I am thrilled to. And uh, and to that, uh, to that point, if you ever have a suggestion of someone that I should talk with or bring their perspective to the show, I'm always happy to consider that. Can't guarantee they'll uh, be able to get on the show, but I'd uh, always be open to that. So feel free to drop me a line anytime. And of course, the best way to interact with us on comments, questions, or feedback on this episode specifically is to go to coachingforleaders.com slash 121. You'll see the notes for the show up there. You'll also see a place at the bottom of that page to interact and have some dialogue with me and other members of the community. And if you have a comment, question, or feedback for a future episode, uh, either a future Q&A show or anything related to communication, human relations, leadership, productivity, you can visit coachingforleaders.com slash feedback, and you'll see all the ways on there to leave an audio message or to send me an email if that works out best. And uh, a special thank you this week to the folks who have subscribed to my weekly update. Uh, you've heard on the show in the last few weeks that the weekly update is now including the show notes for each episode. So rather than needing to go track them down on the website, you can just get those in your email box every Wednesday. And so if you are interested in receiving that, just go to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe, and that'll get you onto the uh, onto the weekly update. You'll get an article from me each week in that email as well, along with the show notes. And thank you to Brad Molner, Rob Kaman, uh, Kaman probably actually, uh, David Embleton, Paul Johnson, Brendan Van Doysen, Amy Armstrong, Wendelin Buckner, Satyaranan Kumar, I hope I said that somewhat correctly, <laughs> um, Paul Belsack, Elise Kubikova, Michael Norwood, Gaudi Riviera, Nicole Diotel, and Randy McAllister for subscribing to my weekly update this past week. And I do publish that update again every Wednesday. So check it out if you're interested in receiving that. Again, it's coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe and getting even better this week because it's now going to be mobile responsive. So for those of you who uh, view email on a, on a phone or a tablet like I do a lot of times during the day, it'll be a lot easier to read. So watch for that. Hey, also a huge thank you this week to Andres Jans. Andres, we've talked over email a bunch of times. Thank you so much, my friend, for the kind written review you left on iTunes a while back. I know you did it a while ago, and I've just now gotten access to some of the other stores, iTunes stores and comments around the world. So thank you so much, Andres. Very kind of you. Hey, if this show's been really valuable to you as well, leave a written review on iTunes or Stitcher. I would so appreciate that. It helps more people to find the show and for us to continue to grow as a community. So you can do that at coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes if you're an iTunes user, or you can hop on Stitcher at coachingforleaders.com slash Stitcher. Hey, thanks for those of you who have tried to leave a review on Stitcher. I've heard it's hard to do that on the mobile devices, but you can do that on the website. 
uh, use a desktop if you do that on Stitcher. Hey, have a great week, everyone, and Happy New Year to you. Take care.